What went wrong? River cops are circling the area around the blast, Commissioner. What's the point, Montoya? If his honor was down in that tunnel when it blew, he's retired from office permanent. Bullock! Now, who thought they saw a body floating toward this bank? Uh-oh. Commissioner, over here! That's Mayor Kroll! I'll send for the paramedics. Your Honor, how'd you escape the tunnel? We almost gave you up. Uh, he never gave up. The Batman? Grab me in his cape. It, it formed an air pocket. <laughs> well, he swam to an emergency hatchway. It was jammed, but he opened it somehow. His lungs must have been bursting. He, he never gave up. Where is he now? Does he need help? He must, but he staggered away. I heard his car start up. Guess he's gone home to rest. God knows he needs it. Don't remember getting to the car. Recall the ride home only in snatches. The cave. Home. Can't wear this costume in the house, promised Alfred. But where is Alfred? Oh, concentrate. Nearly at the Batcave access door. The clock hand set at the precise hour my parents were murdered. And it's unlocked. Strange. Not like Alfred, too. Alfred? I left him alive, Mr. Bruce Wayne. It is not your underlings I want, Batman. Bane! In Wayne Manor! It is you, and you will scream my name! You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Do you like the Drake? I love the Drake. What about the Drake? Oh, screw the Drake. I love the Drake. Welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake comic podcast. This podcast will take a chronological look at the third boy to wear the mantle of Robin, Tim Drake. We will start with Tim's origin and then make our way to Tim's ongoing Robin series that went 183 issues. So sit back, relax, and find out why everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. Got to love the Drake. What can I say? I'm irresistible. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Welcome to episode number 34, and this is it. This is the big moment that not only shook the foundation and the hearts of every Bat fan out there, but this is the pivotal moment that turned Tim into the other direction of going, I've got all of this training and I just watched my mentor, whom I didn't think could possibly fall, get his back broken that sends Tim um, off on a new journey that um, I kind of remember when they started soliciting a Robin solo comic that was a little bit uh, after uh, these couple issues we're talking about today thought, how is that going to work, a Robin without a Batman? Well, we'll kind of get there in a little bit. But for this episode, this is the big moment uh, as far as Batman events go, at least in the 90s are concerned. Uh, 
All I have to say is Batman 497, and anybody out there reading any type of Batman comics knows that Batman 497 is the breaking of Batman. Uh, we're going to take a look at two uh, issues today on the episode. Uh, Batman 497, that is part 11, and Detective Comics 664, part 12. And I brought a special guest, or I brought, it's like I drove over to his house and brought him all the way to Ohio. <laughs> uh, <laughs> first of all, we have Terrence joining with, with us again, as always. Terrence, how are you doing today, sir? Doing really good. Thanks for having me on, Rob. Uh, yeah, Rob. <laughs> I'm like, is that this right name? <laughs> Everybody's We're such fa- good friends now. I'm like, what, what's your name again? Rob, that's it. It's uh, Marcus, but that's all right. Yeah. It, it doesn't hurt that much anymore. Um, and this is, if anybody's been listening to the Batman universe long enough, you're going to hear another familiar voice here. Uh, he just celebrated uh, their 100th uh, episode on the Bat fans. Uh, Tim, I, I've got a confession. I always pronounce your last name correctly. So, in lieu of me not butchering your last name correctly, I will let you introduce yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it is Tim Jirasi, but Rob, don't feel bad because it's a rare occasion when anyone pronounces my last <laughs> name right. So <laughs> I remember uh, going through the uh, some of the podcasts. I'm like, just say your name one time, and I heard you say it, and that was a couple weeks ago. I forget what uh, episode it was, and then uh, a couple uh, hours ago, I'm like going through, you know, what we were gonna talk about and i'm like crap how did he say his last name so (laughs) cool it's it's great to have you on and we were talking right before we uh, started recording that uh terrence and i have both been on the bat fans and you and dane you know we're running the show so it feels a little weird to be like in the driver's seat and still hear your voice i feel like i just want to sit back and relax and tell us all about this drake guy uh, tim (laughs) Yeah, it's finally my turn to sit back and relax and just be the guest on the podcast, <laughs> which would be fun. But yeah, it's great to be on here. I mean, Talking Nightfall, uh, something I love to do. <laughs> it's one of my all-time favorite stories. And I'm not sure if you had anyone else named Tim on the show, but I think you had to have at least someone named, actually named Tim beyond Everybody Loves the Drake podcast. Oh, yeah. Right. And I, I thought that that was great. And actually, I wanted to call Everybody Loves Tim Jirasi, but I thought, well, everybody's not going to yeah. really know who that is. So uh, there Very happened specific. to be, yeah. yes, there happened to be this Drake character out there. So, yeah, we, we just kind of went with that. Well, I appreciate uh, the thought, though. <laughs> and it's kind of like uh, late night TV I used to watch back in the 80s when, like, Johnny Carson, would, who was normally the host, would be, like, the guest on Letterman or something, be like, this is weird. That's like Tim being the guest on here. <laughs> yeah, I always thought those uh, shows were really uh, like probably awkward for them to even probably do. Like you have two late night hosts talking back and forth, and you kind of felt like at a certain point they started like flipping roles, you know, uh, from the couch to the chair. Like, well, let me ask you a question, and then you would watch, you know, their show a month later. Then they would have the other person on. I always thought that was kind of odd. Like, how are the networks able to do this? Oh, that'll happen. At some point, you'll mess up, and Tim will just take over. He'll yeah. just he'll drop, he'll drop you from the call and be like, Rob can no longer be with us. Yeah, I, then we're just going to go into some Star Wars tangent when I take yeah. over. Star Star Wars? Oh, you guys ever heard of that? No, no. I'm, I'm excited about the new Star Trek movie coming out. Uh, okay, I think I am definitely taking over this. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, I wanted to... Uh, uh, well, we've kind of done with the guests that we've had on as uh, kind of like, uh, like where did you you know come into the Batman universe or where did you come into the Drake universe, uh, as it may be. But um, when the three of us were all in the Bat fans together, it's we had all kind of said, uh, I think for like every co-host that you had on there, Nightfall seemed to be the book that uh, people 
that was like their jumping on point or that was the book that really got them into collecting or it was one of their favorite stories. So I kind of want to get a little bit of your background, not only with Batman, but where did you come into the uh, Nightfall saga? Where was you, like your first issue? Were you there at the beginning? So if you just kind of give us just a little bit of background and uh, even, you know, your kind of your podcasting background, if you uh, would. Yeah, so for Nightfall and just comic collecting in general, I mean, I always say I was just born a Batman fan because I can't remember that time or that moment that got me into Batman. It was like, he was always part of my memory, just always there. So I'd always have a few, like, old comic stories. The, the like, go-to comic story I always had as a little kid was called uh, The Untold Legends of the Batman, mm-hmm. which was released in 19... Or I got the version released in 1989 around the first Tim Burton movie, which came with the audio cassettes, which... I just love listening to those over and over again. That was like pretty much my Batman school that I went to. I got the history <laughs> of a lot of different characters in there for the first time. But yeah, Nightfall was the first time I actually started collecting comics regularly, like as they came out and on a monthly basis. But I didn't start right away once like the first part of Nightfall came out. I kind of got, I guess, caught up in the hype. There was because it was around the same time the death of Superman was going on. That was getting a lot of attention. And then, you know, we're going to get the breaking of the bat. So that was getting a lot of attention. And it was around the same time, too, a new comic shop just opened, like, really close to where I lived. So everything kind of worked out all perfectly to get involved with it. And it's perfect that this is the episode I'm a guest on your show because Batman 497 actually was the first issue of the Nightfall series that I got. So I didn't mm. even start at the beginning. So we got that one first. And then me and my brothers would, you know, save up our allowances and get different issues from the previous uh, parts of the story and back then because since there were several months out the comic shop would sell like part one the one with the mad hatter that was i think i'd pay like 10 or 15 dollars to get that issue <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because i have a story for you okay. <laughs> but, but as we got closer and closer to issue 11 the price started dropping on some of those back issues but yeah so i just remember just being enthralled with this story of seeing batman <laughs> being taken down and being uh, so curious about Bane, the character, the villain who actually did that to him. So, yeah, it was a great time period to get hooked on comics in general because I also started collecting, you know, the Death of Superman story and some of the X Men and Spider Man stuff around that time. But Nightfall was the jumping on point, and then pretty much never looked back since. <laughs> Still collecting comics today, so I owe it all to Nightfall. Uh, that's really kind of interesting that your first introduction to the Bane character uh, was in uh, this particular issue so you didn't get the you know backstory if you will of you know you hadn't read um what am i the sort of Azrael or to get his motivation you just knew this guy was in wayne manor and started yeah. beating the tar out of batman that must have been really you know uh odd and interesting at the same time to uh start from that point you know what i thought he was because i still like wasn't familiar with all of the stuff in, Bat, in the Batcave, like the dinosaur. And I remember the cover of 497 where you see the background, you see the dinosaur there. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, is this character like involved with dinosaurs? Like he's from the past, <laughs> <laughs> like, from the dinosaur time period. <laughs> so I didn't know what to expect when I was going into the story. But but it's funny, though, because there wasn't in uh, Secret Six, Bane actually did ride a dinosaur. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was ahead of the time. time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wow, that's cool. So I take it from this point, did you know you start? You said you started going back and picking up uh, uh, older issues. Um, Terrence and I had were talking about that as we've been going through uh, the series. That you know, as these issues started coming out, 
people were starting to go back and fill in holes and things like that. And um, I was trying to look through here really quick through uh, my old uh, show notes, and I can't remember what it was that I paid $17 for. Um, and it wasn't even the main um, uh, Nightfall. It was a, a tie-in issue, but it had uh, Robin and Azrael on the front cover. And, and I'm totally blank, and I'm trying to hurriedly go through here. Should have been more prepared, Rob. Way to go. Um, but that's yeah, I, it. time for you to take over. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there it is. That that's the moment. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I can't find all probably as we're going through, but um, I can remember going to uh, local comic shops. Um, you know, once I got caught up, I think I was there right at the very uh, beginning of it. But as far as I remember picking up Nightfall number one, but it was the back uh, half kind of leading into that. But as the issues came out that I would go to the comic shop every week, the issue that I just bought the previous week, you know, was like $10. And the week after that, it was like $12. And I can remember by the time all of Nightfall was out, there were books ranging in the $20, $30 range. And I'm like, holy crap, you know. Um, good thing I bought these or had them in my pull list, you know, at the time. And in my comic shop, that was the first time I ever heard the word, you know, pull list for these uh-huh. books. And they were like, you know, this is going to be a, a big story. You, you know, need to get, um, do a pull list. I'm like, I have no idea what that is. He's like, that way you don't have to come to the wall and look and find out that your book's gone. And I think I did that with like the first or the, uh, fourth, uh, issue in the, Nightfall series that uh, I said, okay, I need to get on a pull list because <laughs> the guy at the comic shop knew I wanted it so bad. He went to somebody else's pull list and pulled it and pulled it out and gave it to me. He's like, this guy hasn't picked up books for three months. It's like if if he hasn't bought bought these books in three months, he's not going to miss this one issue. So he he told me he's like, don't be that guy. Don't leave a stack of books here for three months. So I've never done that in any shop because I was always afraid somebody's going to reach into my list and pull them out. <laughs> Yeah, that's happened to me too on the good receiving where I even recently going to like for the first uh, part of the Batman Team and T issue, um, he didn't put it in my pull list, but and I, I went there like on a Saturday and they were all out just on the stand and I go anymore and he goes he just pulls one out from somebody's pull list and he hasn't picked up his books in a while you can just have this one, <laughs> so, but I remember too when my comic shop which was cool they had like a special section just devoted for the Nightfall books they had this like rack of comics where each row would be like stuff of Nightfall Part 1, Part 2, Part 3, all the way leading down to uh, Part 12, I think, was when I first started going there. And I remember, like I said, those price points being real high, like issues 1 through 4, and I'm like, one day I'll be able to pick up these comics and start <laughs> from the beginning and know the, uh, how the story started and complete my collection. So I remember it was a great moment when I finally were able to pick up Nightfall Part 1. Excellent. Very cool. All right, well, that's going to be this part of the show that we are going to dip into the BBC radio audio drama. And uh, it's been really kind of cool to listen to this. Uh, what you heard at the very beginning of the show was the lead-in where the Joker and uh, Scarecrow have kidnapped the mayor. And then Batman has gone through the sewer system and gets washed out. And the mayor isn't sure whether Batman has made it or not. So that's what you just heard leading in. And what you're going to hear right now is the big moment, the fight between Batman and a very uh, strong and overpowered Bane that has waited calculatingly uh, to this moment to take on the Batman. And then ending in uh, Detective Comics 664. Uh, Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the show. 
All right, before we start the BBC radio drama again, uh, let's take a look at the information brought to us by Mike's Amazing World on these two issues. This is a great website to be able to check out any of the information of who wrote the issue, who drew it, who did the lettering, when it was published, the date of release. It's a really good resource website I can't uh, recommend enough that is uh, very much up to date uh, to the current books that are coming out and then also the uh, older books as well. The information on Batman 497 reads as follows. The cover date is late July 1993. On street sale date is May 25th, 1993. The cover price was $1.25. The editor, which is uh, a little different for uh, these two books um, being Batman and Detective, the uh, Batman editor is uh, Dennis J. O'Neill, and we'll get into the editor for Detective Comics. Uh, the title of this uh, issue is simple, The Broken Bat. Page count is 22. Uh, writer is Doug Mensch. The pencil is Jim Aparo. The inker is Dick uh, Giordano. Uh, letters is Richard Starking. And the colors is Adrian Roy. This has been reprinted twice in Batman Nightfall Part 1, Broken Bat, trade paperback 1983. And the newest version, Batman Nightfall Volume 1, trade paperbacks 2012. Uh, the information for Detective Comics reads as follows. Detective Comics number 664 has a cover date of July 1993 with an on-sale date of June 8, 1993. Cover price is $1.25. Uh, the editor for this issue is Scott Peterson, and I can't remember if he was the editor uh, during... Uh, the early parts of the Detective Comics run, or if it's because uh, these uh, Batman and Detective were telling one story, they wanted to break up the editorial. I'm not entirely sure. I'll have to go back and take a look. Uh, the title of this issue is called Who Rules the Night? Writers Chuck Dixon, the pencilers Graham Nolan, the inker Scott Hanna, the letter is John Costanza. I'm going to keep doing that <laughs> as long as Costanza's name is here. Can't stand ya. Uh, the colorist is Adrian Roy. And this has been reprinted uh, twice, again, with the same reprints um, as I read before in uh, the trade paperback that came out in 93, and then uh, the newest trade paperback that came out in 2012. And now, without further ado, here's the BBC radio drama of the big moment. Uh, this is the fight between Batman and Bane. I hope you enjoy this. Bane, here in Wayne Manor, you... You know who I am. My senses are quickened in ways which give me insights denied to other men. Insights which ensure my survival. For no disguise can hide my enemies from me. This Bruce Wayne is nothing but a mask which no longer serves your purposes, Batman. What has all this been about? Freeing the inmates from Arkham. Watching me wear myself down trying to recapture them. I was a child in a jail filled with the dregs of the earth. But the vision sustained me that I would survive those days of terror, those nights of fitful dark dreams, when dark-winged creatures would torment me. And that one day, I would rule a great city the way I ruled that jail, by defeating the dark-winged creature that haunted my tortured nights. You would kill just I would kill for anything. I would kill to silence a grating voice, to darken the light in eyes that dare look at me. Yours is a madness. I cannot allow to run free. You must be brought down, whatever the cost. You will pay dearly. Oh, rib gone. Master Bruce. Alfred, save yourself. Run. I'm child's play for this monster. 
burned out from a thousand desperate fights. Racing for death my whole life. A life begotten in death. The pearls, lady. Hand them over. Hey, don't you touch my wife, you... down in the cave and Master Bruce is completely spent. Let's get help. Next door. Fetch Timothy before it's too late. Warning. Seismic anomaly detected in that cave. It is over. You are nothing. Robin. Beg for mercy. Scream my name. Go. Go to hell. You want death? I deny it to you. I will raise you up. And I will bring Broken and done. is going on, Commissioner? The phone call said go to Robinson Square. Looks like everybody got invited. You think somebody glimpsed the Batman and word got out? You're on the right track, Clark, in the worst possible way. Look, up on the roof of Kane's Art Museum. My God, that huge guy's holding Batman's body over his head. Like a broken doll. People of the city, you will listen. I am pain. You are mine. Batman is no more! I rule these streets! I rule Gotham City! It's falling into place, Harvey. The Arkham breakout, the disappearance of Gotham's key mobsters, this guy, Bane, was behind the whole thing! Bane's lifting Batman's body up again! Is he still alive? Here is your hero! Here is your protector! Take him and bury him! Kill him. Look, the canopy over Hannah's deli broke his fall. Come on, Commish. Okay, people, make some room here. We can't help the man with you crowded in here like this. Good work, Montoya. Thanks, Harv. Batman. It's Jim Gordon. Bullock. We have EMT units on the way. Can you hear me? Uh, clear back, please. Uh, paramedics coming through. I see two more. Alf, uh, Alfredo, the backboard. Hurry. Gangway people coming through here. You guys got here in a hurry? Yeah, we was in the neighborhood. He's breathing shallow and has a quick, weak pulse. Skin's ice cold. I didn't try to move him. Here, keep him straight. Yeah, got him. Slide it straight into the van. Look, I can ride along in the unit. Uh, help you get to the hospital in a hurry. It's okay, Commissioner. We're uh, only a few blocks from Mercy General. Montoya? Yes, Commissioner. Did those paramedics say they were taking Batman to Mercy General? They did, sir. Why? Those paramedics from Mercy General have only just arrived. But that's impossible. I saw those other guys' ID. This is getting worse by the minute. Not necessarily, Commissioner. Those guys could have been some of Batman's own people. They... Huh? Oh. Hurry up, Jean-Paul. I'm doing 60 in a school zone. How is he, Alfred? He's in shock. He's lost a great deal of blood. There are certainly internal injuries, and... And? I think... I think his back may be 
my God! And nothing is known about the whereabouts of the allegedly injured Batman or his assailant, the masked strongman calling himself Bane. Isn't it ironic, Scarecrow? A legion of Batty's baddest foes has tried to bring him down, and some new rookie comes along and trashes him! Hilarious, Joker. Particularly after the beating Batman gave us, followed by nearly drowning in that damn tunnel. We didn't even get to kill the mayor. I haven't even got any ransom money to continue my fear gas experiments. Fear gas? You might as well have squirted air freshener in Batty's face for all the good it did us. I've had enough of your insults, Joker. Oh, stop. You're terrifying. And I have a new fear gas mixture I need a guinea pig for. Not bad, Crow. What other flavors have you got? Eh? I don't understand. Then let me explain with this chair! Loser! Charlatan! Our partnership is over! Good luck, Scarecrow. They're bound to rebuild Arkham Asylum. Maybe next time you'll get a straw mattress to go with your head! That's half an hour. Okay, ventriloquist, what's with this Darko character? Your old pal Scarface and I've had you in a couple of months, and you got to replace me with a piece of underwear. Now, now, Scarface, Darko has been very helpful in finding you. Damn right I have. Who you calling underwear? You, you moth-eating piece of dry lid. The name is Sucko. should be Stinko. You should change your partners more often, ventriloquist. Boys, boys. Sucker, not the gun. Pull a heater on me, would you? Well, I got one, too. Boys, boys, no! You idiot! Who are you calling in this? We shot ourselves. How is that? Stable, Jean-Paul. His pulse is getting steadier and stronger, although I may have to aerate his left lung again. Shouldn't we get him to a proper hospital? He could die. We've been here before, he and I. I ought to put in an appearance at home. My dad's going to be worrying about me. But if there's anything Go I can do... I'll call you if there's a change. Okay. Back later. So Bruce is out of danger? Not quite, John Paul. I didn't tell the boy everything about Bruce's condition. The fever won't go down unless I stop the swelling on the spinal tissue. And even if Batman does awaken, he'll be paralyzed for life. Tune in tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. All right, that was the radio drama by uh, the good folks over in the BBC, and that is something I have played over and over and over, almost to the point that I think uh, Terrence and I have talked about this before, that I've listened to that so much that that's... That's my chronological order of Nightfall, so going through these issues and seeing the actual issue, the BBC, I think, actually took uh, Denny O'Neill's novelization and did the uh, radio adaption uh, play from that. So they kind of skewed some of the timeline a little bit to kind of make it more cohesive, and they took some parts out. Uh, But this was uh, really interesting to listen to, uh, just to hear uh, Bruce's uh, monologue. So... uh, as we were uh, talking before, uh, Tim, with <laughs> you opening up this very first issue and seeing you know, the broken bat, I want to look at the uh, front cover just a little bit at the big hulking uh, 
image of Bane here done by Kelly Jones. Um, what version of the comics do you guys have? My version, um, I don't think, was the first release that has the half-paper uh, cardboard cover on it um, that's half black and white. Mine's just the uh, standard uh, issue. What did you guys have? Uh, Terrence? Uh, I've got the half release. I got it. I think uh, it's kind of been a fun game every time you tell me which issue we're doing to see how many of them I have. Because, <laughs> like, as seeing them go up in price, like you guys were talking about, I was buying multiple issues thinking I'd be rich. Uh, and <laughs> I think I had three of these that I bought the day they came out. Um, so I've got that half version. Nice. Uh, Tim, what about you? Yeah, I did get the one that had, you know, the half with the, the black and white paper on there where it says the breaking of the Batman. Yeah. And, I know. Oh, this must be special because no other comic I've seen has that on there. So have that one, and didn't double dip into any, pretty much anything during that time being a kid. But then just collected, you know, the two trades in Nightfall. So those are pretty much the two versions I have of that uh, issue. Yeah, uh, this one for whatever reason, like I was aware that that was out from seeing other friends of mine in different cities have them, but uh, my, I'm doing air quotes again. Uh, my comic shop was basically a romance novel bookstore and the back half of it had comics so they were kind of at the mercy of diamond in like the priority of who was getting books and i two little ladies were running the uh shop at the time so if they didn't get their orders in right away they basically got more of the newsstand versions of stuff every once in a while we would get the you know embossed chrome covers and you know all that type of stuff but um everybody's copy at the at least the shop i was getting stuff was just kind of like the standard issue no cardboard cover and i remember going to a shop and seeing it like that very next week that was a 40 dollar book on the wall going it's the same book, same interior, and I just want it because it has that cardboard sleeve and it's $40. And I can remember having like $35 and like frantically trying to find change in my car and going, <laughs> I don't need it. I don't need it. I don't need it. And and now that book is probably a buck 50 <laughs> on eBay or something like that. So uh, I have a question for you. So uh, this is the first time I've ever heard of anybody buying comic books at a romance novel store. I didn't even know those existed. <laughs> yeah. So, like, now everyone is, like, comic book fans, and everyone's walking around with comic book t-shirts, and it's hip to be into comics. But back then, you would not maybe want the girls at school to know you were reading comics. <laughs> so if some girls had seen you coming out of that store, would you have said you were buying romance novels, or would you found <laughs> a comic book? <laughs> Which one would have been better for your rep? Uh, my mom wanted this book, and I love my mother. <laughs> so, and I got this Batman book from my cousin. I, yeah. No, I I wouldn't have run into my mother there. I would have run into my grandmother. Okay, yeah. So it would have been like, oh, Robbie's reading his little Batman books. Isn't that cute? And I actually went there with her one time. That's how, how I found out that they had comics back there, that she wanted to pick up her stories. So we would go there, and she's like, they have comic books back here. And I was like, oh, cool. So that's uh, if it wasn't for her, I don't think I ever would have found uh, that shop because all it said on the front was book nook and then <laughs> after it kind of changed hands uh the guys that were running would, would put posters up in front so you would have a poster of like daredevil next to a poster of the new daniel Steele book <laughs> being released <laughs> that month in their window so yeah they uh, attracted uh, all kinds of clientele and the store just closed uh three years ago and the woman that had bought the store had been running it for 
um, geez, 20, almost 30 years, and she was starting to get poor in health, and uh, the store was kind of failing a little bit. Um, they were trying to cater more towards comics, but it, they just weren't getting any uh, traction, so it was kind of sad to see it closed. But she knew, I mean, she knew her romance novel stuff, but when you came into the store she knew oh you liked robin so she would always put your comics you know in the poll list and things like that so it was it was kind of like talking to my grandmother at the same time but she like she knew her stuff to go what was that issue that bane first appeared in she'd be like oh that was a sort of azrael that was a a one-shot comic and i kind of looking at her like you're old enough to be my grandmother and you know (laughs) batman please tell me you can make cookies and this will be (laughs) this will be awesome (laughs) you never have to leave (laughs) no (laughs) in in the 90s like that every now and again you could go into like a 7-eleven or some kind of bookstore that didn't really know what was going on and find a wall book that was selling somewhere for like 20 or 30 dollars just sitting in a rack yeah which always made me feel like something's not right with that 30 dollar price that i can buy this one here for cover price but that that was always a great moment when you could find that yeah i i miss those days that's how um I got some of my first books where, you know, dad stopping to get gas and I knew that there were comic books in the spinner racks in there. And I picked up all of the lonely place of dying, uh, from a spinner rack at a seven 11. And then just, you know, a few others here, or there maybe like the, the corners were bad or something like that. And I felt like I needed a, a nice copy. So then I would go back to that comic book shop and then, you know, pick up one off the wall. But if I saw it was a price tag, sometimes I could argue and go, I got this at seven 11 for cover price. And I'd be like, Oh, okay. But, you know, if it was a real comic shop, they, they weren't taking that thing. You know, they're like, nope, it, this is an $80 book. It's going to stay an $80 book. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, going through uh, this, uh, it's been a while since I've read uh, this particular issue and kind of reading it and today getting ready for the show. Um, reading Batman's inner monologue was really kind of heartbreaking in some ways. Uh, just at, and the cool thing was you were kind of reliving and getting a recap of everything that has kind of happened, like the first introduction of Black Mask and Killer Croc that's on page six. That um, and I liked it when they do kind of like the uh, his memories. They'll will get it in like more of a monochrome color that's kind of intermixed and him kind of recounting every every person that he has fought that has kind of got the best of him, where he's kind of come out on top and is the book kind of goes through, Batman is slowly realizing that he's not going to come out in this and is is still trying to uh, take those steps and trying to deliver the punches and knows that he just can't do it. Was that was that hard for you guys to read the very first time of you know this Batman that can do just about anything and slowly going through the pages of this book realizing Batman's not going to come out of it? So, uh, what were your first uh, thoughts of this uh, particular issue? Uh, let's start with Terrence. You know, when I when I very first read this back uh, in '93, I and you could say I was naive because I probably was, um, but I, I thought this was like the end of Bruce Wayne as Batman. You know, um, it wasn't really the internet days where you kind of knew so much stuff, but there was like Wizard magazine. There were a lot of you know comic book magazines out there. Um, and so you knew, I knew ahead of time that like Asbats was coming and I knew John Paul Valley was taking over and kind of DC was retooling at the time. They had the new Superman, they had the new Green Lantern 
Kyle Ratner, which I don't know if he was Rainer, that's right. I don't know if he was out just yet or and he almost felt like they were kind of rebooting their um uh their whole line, kinda of like how they did for the Silver Age, reboot all the Golden Age stuff. And now I guess, you know, when Jeff Johns got in there, he really like reversed everything and brought everything back for the better to it. I'm not criticizing that, I'm just saying it. And um so I think some of the like if you listen to interviews today or read them, the editorial staff, um, especially Danny O'Neill, I think they're doing a lot a lot of retconning because they're always like, oh well, you know, Asbacks was you know it was our parody of uh, or our you know um, take on how Marvel was going so crazy and all the X Force stuff and all the you know big guns and all that and all the ultra violent comics and stuff. And I, I don't remember at this time thinking, oh well, they're going to do their you know social view here on the ultra violence of comics and I, I really thought they were changing it up so for me when i first read it it was kind of heartbreaking of like thinking like wow this is the way bruce wayne is going down and this is the end of bruce wayne um i did think that the the very like the the breaking of the bat when he breaks his back i, I always thought that was kind of weak a little bit just because i thought the cover was so much more dramatic version of it. That yeah. The inside, I was kind of like, oh, okay, well, but look at the cover, you know, so, but, but that's getting ahead. I know you talk about the internal <laughs> monologue. Uh, sorry. No, no, no. My, my outward monologue is just going on and on and on. Um, <laughs> the, um, but yeah, no, I, I really did find it that way because when I read it, I really did think this was the last Bruce Wayne Batman story. Uh, Tim. Yeah, when I, first read it i just it was kind of thing like well i don't know what to expect <laughs> not having read all the previous parts you know just kind of jumping right into the main event but <laughs> yeah just going into it as much for the first time i read it wasn't paying too much attention as like a nine-year-old kid to like the inner monologue and stuff i just wanted to get to the action and yeah just yeah, as much as batman gets his, his butt kicked in here and just gets broken by bane I just remember being, man, Batman's still awesome in this issue. The way he just takes on Bane at the beginning, and just reading it again uh, last night, uh, getting prepared for the podcast, is like how awesome Batman is when he's worn down, just really can't go on anymore, but he's just ready still to take on Bane. I just love how he goes into the fight. You know, like in that case, let's do it one more time, and he just jumps right out. Even though he gets pretty much taken down right away, he maybe only gets like one punch into Bane, but even that was just very weak. It doesn't even phase him. And even at the very end where Bane is yelling at Batman, you know, beg for mercy, scream my name. <laughs> and Batman's like, go back to hell. <laughs> he's not going to give in, even yeah. when he knows the inevitable is coming from him and he's going to be broken. But reading it again, yeah, I'm going to have the same feeling you had, Rob, with the inner monologue, just, you know, recapping everything that Batman has went through in the course of the story. And going back to when I first read it, it was kind of like, oh, what is all this stuff? Like, what has happened? <laughs> Why is... Batman remembering this time period of his life. Is these recent or these way back? Like, what's going on here since I haven't read any of those other issues? But it was kind of cool to have that recap as you're going through this fight and, you know, just driving home the point is how, like, worn down Batman really is and how Bane accomplished what he set out to do to just to get him really worn out for this fight. And, yeah, just reading it again, too, just made me realize, you know, what a cheat Bane is, man. Yeah. <laughs> Freaking Batman. Wearing, wearing him down and getting at his most vulnerable period and then taking him out. I mean, come on. If you are really, like, wanted to test your strength to be the ruler of God, then you'd do it when Batman at his best. But <laughs> we know all villains don't play fair, so. But, yeah, it's, like, reaffirmed how much I love this issue and this series, and especially this 
particular one because, like you said, this was the main event of Nightfall, the breaking of the bat. And um, after I read this, because ever since 1993 reading the story, I wanted to see this, you know, like Batman animated series do mm-hmm. an adaption of this series, uh, hopefully like a live action movie one day. And now I'm still banging on the drum for the DC animated films to do a Nightfall adaption. That would be awesome. But thankfully we did get a little bit of it in Dark Knight Rises. So after I, wrought, I read this issue, I watched the Batman Bane fight from Dark Knight Rises. So did I. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and as very different as the circumstances are of that fight, they still did a pretty awesome job adapting it. And even though their dialogues are different, I still kind of got the same vibe of what Bane was telling Batman in Dark Knight Rises and in this issue, kind of telling him about living in the darkness and, you know, having only wanted to take down Batman. That was what he lived for. This similarities to how they were uh, saying their motivations, I thought was pretty cool. And then of course, seeing Bane actually break Batman back in the movie, just like he did with the comic. I said this before, how that was such a big geek out moment when I saw that for the first time. So yeah, it all, and as awesome as that moment was in Dark Knight Rises, it all came from this issue. So, yeah, it's always going to be a big moment in Batman history. And it's kind of, I just think it's kind of cool for me and my fandom is that this issue was the first one that I read as far as getting my Batman comic collecting going. I mean, I really can't think of a better issue for the era that I grew up in mm-hmm. to get introduced into that world of comic collecting and Batman stories on an ongoing basis. So, yeah, I love this issue, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> Despite the fact of Batman being taken down, there's still plenty of great stuff to love in it as a Batman fan. How funny is it, like, your your first issue is, like, such a classic, one of the greatest issues ever. Like, if you had bought a really bad issue, maybe you would never have read comics. You'd be like, these things are terrible. I read that one. <laughs> I read Spider-Man 357. It was dull, you know? So, But, yeah, a couple things Tim said there. Um, I remember reading it thinking that Bane was a cheat, too. Like, like, and thinking, like, Batman is such a badass that the only way to beat him is if you wear him down. Like, one-on-one, he would have beaten Bane easily. And then at this point, I've been reading comics for a few years, and I'd seen a lot of the you know Adam West show. And having Bane in Wayne Manor and then go down into the Batcave, I don't know if I had ever seen a villain in Wayne Manor like that. And it was it seemed like such a a violation of uh, Bruce Wayne, and it just it was really kind of shocking um, to, to see that in in the book. And then yeah, the uh, it's kind of, even though it's only been a few years, it's kind of a different world that we live in now with comic books where, like, Marvel is pulling, you know, stories right out of their, you know, the movies are pulled right out of comic book events and the titles of the movies are storylines like Civil War and Winter yeah. Soldier. And yeah. we're seeing, like, but when, you know, The Dark Knight Rises came out, we hadn't really seen a lot of direct adaptation into live action. So to see Bane pick up Batman and break him on his knee like that. I mean, I jumped up out of my seat. Yeah. There. Like, well, and my wife, who had never read the book or anything, didn't like, didn't get. It. It's like what? It's just like another blow in the fight. But for me to, it seemed just like, I, you know, it seemed like a validation. Like, yeah, yeah I've been reading mm-hmm. comic books for so long, saying they're great, saying they're awesome, and then just to have seen that, um, you know, the, the the filmmakers and the writers and the actors and everyone involved in that movie would take that and put that in there was like a validation that comics are great and these are great art form and great storytelling and just it, it was awesome yeah it was such a geek out moment like you said tim i i remember i was sitting in the theater for dark Knight rises and getting to that moment where 
you know, knowing full well, thinking, well, I wish this was in the Batcave. That would have made the mm-hmm. moment so yeah. cool. <laughs> but I think what sold it for me even more is when uh, they blow to the blow the roof to the Wayne. Um, uh, I'm losing my my words here. Uh, Wayne Tech. Yeah, the Wayne Tech, and yeah. the the tumblers come down. You could kind of see that. Kind of was like, well, I guess we're kind of sort of in there. But I remember that moment was when uh, Bane picks up Batman. I grab my wife's hand as we're sitting there, <laughs> and she's like, "Are you scared?" And I was like, "It's real. Like, <laughs> it's it's finally real." Getting able, you know, to see that moment, even though, like you said, Tim, you know, the dialogue was a little different, but still, the overall emphasis of a Batman that thought he could take on something like Bane and, and kind of even hearing those words from Alfred earlier on in the Nightfall series of Alfred telling Bruce like you're not ready for this and even you know Chandra Consolving trying to tell Bruce you know she doesn't know he's Batman and even Tim to the point of like you're not at your best you're not ready for what's about to come and um, and hearing those words from um uh, Alfred in The Dark Knight Rises and, and seeing that moment there just kind of like it, it took your breath away for a second to go like, hey, I can't believe I'm seeing this on screen, but it's kind of like you said, Terrence, like the, the validation of having friends call me like, did you see The Dark Knight Rises? Was it that way in the comics? Is Did, did I... Did I just see comics on on the screen? And I'm like, yeah, and uh, had a conversation with my mother about the movie and then showing her the panel from the uh, comic. And she was like, wow, they did that really well. And I I wanted to set the book down and go, finally, (laughs) you guys see what (laughs) I'm seeing. So that that was just a cool moment. Uh, And like you said, Terrence, living in the age that we're in right now of hearing titles of like Civil War is – going to be a thing in the movie theaters going i read that and now people that you know maybe never will pick up the book may or at least until this point they might pick up the book now so um yeah it's it's, it's just a cool time that we or that we live in but uh in 93 reading this and uh seeing batman get flung into jason todd's memorial case and you had that moment of you know he's holding uh jason's mask and he says you know jason robin that you know he's lost a a robin to his war on crime and here he is in the shattered remains of the robin costume and uh him himself being broken of like now i'm gonna get lost in this it was just uh you know, seeing Batman get tossed around uh, the Batcave like a ragdoll was just like, oh, I, it was kind of like heart wrenching. You know, like like we were saying to kind of see, you know, this the hero that can't ever lose actually losing. And uh, a moment that I really liked is that Alfred's first thing that he thinks about is trying to save Bruce, and he runs across the street. I'm, I'm imagining, or maybe across the yard uh, to the Drake house to wake up uh, Timothy. And I wanted to ask you guys of what must Tim have been thinking that in Alfred's broken, you know, kind of uh, pantering to try and get Tim's attention. And Tim even says, you know, keep your voice down. You know, you're going to wake my dad. And Alfred's line is, I don't know, my lad, uh, but we may need an ambulance. And Tim's moment of like, I'll get my costume. Like, what must have Tim been thinking that Alfred's got a knock on your door 
and say we're going to need an, an ambulance for Bruce. So, do you guys have any thoughts about you know uh, what Tim must have been thinking uh, at this moment, Terrence? You know, I, I, not tremendously. Like, I think you know I'm so focused on the Batman Bane thing, and I think I, I kind of feel a little bit more towards Alfred what he's thinking because uh, it's almost like his son is like getting killed. <laughs> And the other, you know, like there's such an affinity, but yeah, um, it, it kind of leads a little bit into the next issue yeah. where I always kind of think of like, it must've been like very awkward for Tim where he's kind of like the bystander of it. And to, I know I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but it gets very weird with Tim in the end, in the other thing where he's more like, we need to just get him to a hospital. Like he's almost like the voice of reason and reality in the, in the comic book world where it's like, no, just bring him to the cave and heal him. <laughs> so yeah, I would think Tim was just probably very confused at this point, you know, Tim. Yeah. And I was kind of thinking too, as I was rereading it, he didn't have like that sense of urgency. Like, oh, okay, like, let, yeah, let's go. Instead of just, you know, I'll, I'll get my costume. I kind of thought, Oh, like he would just hurry up and get, <laughs> get down there. But I mean, it's. I mean, how can you expect him to react really when yeah. kind of like his second father figure? Because his real dad. I mean, he's already in a wheelchair. Like he's probably thinking, "Oh, my like surrogate father going to be like the same way too." I mean, am I going to lose him and both my fathers? So, kind of hard to tell what he's going through at that moment. I mean, it would be hard for anyone to like, you know, process that, and especially when Alfred really didn't tell him what's going on, and they'll just kind of like, "Let's let's just go and get that ambulance." So. I'm sure his mind was just racing with tons of, you know, worst scenario thoughts as uh, Alfred got him and then he had to go down and, you know, get his costume and eventually that ambulance that we see in the next issue. But couldn't have been a good feeling, that's for sure, especially getting that knock in the middle of the night and then seeing how bad Alfred looked, too. Yeah. That was his first comment, like, what happened to your head? He's like, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Bruce needs to change his, like, Robin training and, like, you know... (laughs) Day one, like first note, if I'm getting murdered in the uh, before you get your uh, uniform, call the Justice League. (laughs) (laughs) Which I know it's it's comic and they're going to keep it all Batman, but I wasn't a huge fan of the movie Ant Man. I just thought it was okay, but I did love how he kept saying like, "Shouldn't we call the Avengers? Shouldn't we get the Avengers?" (laughs) I did like that in the movie. Yeah, and the last thing I wanted to touch on this issue um, and. where Bane's like, I will break you. And it's like, broken and done. Yeah. And the you know, that last shot of Batman uh, laying there on the ground. And uh, I think even a couple panels back, you see like ribs protruding uh, from his chest uh, after getting uh, uh, thrown into, I always get it confused. Is it stalactites or stalagmites? But whatever it is uh, on page right, 18. The ones on the ground are stalagmites. Mites. Well, you might trip over them. That's how I remember it. Yeah. Well, that might hurt getting it run right yeah. through <laughs> your side there. Um, but I just remember closing uh, this issue with just seeing Bane standing there. And I remember thinking, okay, Alfred went you know, across the street to the Drake house. So does Alfred not realize that Bane is probably still there? Are the two you going to run down to the cave? So obviously, as we're transitioning into Detective Comics here, they probably do rush down to the Batcave, and Bane's already taken uh, Batman up to a a rooftop. Uh, Any final thoughts before we hit uh, Detective Comics 664? Yeah, I'll just say, I I really like this issue, because if you read like the death of Superman, they were building this thing towards the final confrontation with doomsday um how um 
I think they were going from like uh, four panels per page to two to three to two, and then the final issue is um, just one panel per page. And I like this because it seems like even though they don't have quite that same format, it seems less panels per page, so the action seems bigger. And then I like the coloring of how they the flashback scenes were kind of a muted sort of blue gray color in contrast to the fight in the cave. So, you know, overall, I just think this was a, a fantastic story. You know, it's just as far as storytelling goes, just a fantastic issue. That's Tim. Yeah, just the last thing I'll, I guess I'll say on it is this version of Bane, I mean, how he looks and acts, it's still the best-looking Bane design ever. I mean, mm-hmm. over the course of the years through the comics and what we've seen in an animated series and, of course, how he looks in Dark Knight Rises, I don't think anything is going to top how he looks here. I mean, it's a very simple design, but yet so effective and i just remember when i read this for the first time like man what does his voice sound like and you know being the big star wars fan i was like oh he probably sounds something like darth vader even though there's no like voice <laughs> modulator in that mask or anything but this that menacing presence that he had and with the look of the mask i always felt like was so curious of what his voice would sound like <laughs> but yeah this issue like you guys said so so good and despite seeing our favorite hero being taken down and broken i mean but we know, uh, even reading this issue, I know, okay, this isn't the end, and Batman is going to have his rematch with Bane and kind of set things right, even though it would take a long time to, until we got that. It, we knew it eventually had to come at some point. But, yeah. yeah, what a great way to, not only to cap off this big event for Batman and Nightfall, but, you know, kind of put Bane into the top of, like, top Batman villains that is still going on today. I think he's viewed as far as one of the elites he's not one of the d or c list villains so he's pretty high up there and it's all thanks to what happened in this issue so yeah so good i just always love going back and just opening it up not even reading it just flipping through the pages and seeing all the action uh, pan out so it's probably the most issue i go back to and just look at from time to time because it's just that good yeah and you know i just I was gonna add like in the after reading this issue and even now looking back like I just thought Bane was so brutal and so menacing and just such, just like a fearsome character that it was such a disappointment a few years later when he appeared in uh, Batman and, was it Batman and Robin that he was in the movie? And he was like, uh, uh, yeah. Like, yeah, that was like, it took like mm, um, a great geek out moment. Yeah, <laughs> it was just so, that was just so like, no, what, what? And then my brother, who didn't read the comics, I went to see the movie with him, and he loved it. He's like, oh, that Bane, he was so funny. That was so hilarious. And I'm just like, oh, that's not what it's supposed to be. So it was like, yeah, um, this. I would agree with Tim that this may be the best. Although I have liked him in the animated series, and I did like him um, in his look in uh, Young Justice a lot. Um, the this, this is definitely probably the best Bane. You know, as much as uh, like we all love the animated series, um, I liked his portrayal in there. I never liked seeing his mouth. You know, yes, they had to I cut agree. the cut the little slit in there, and I was glad at least in the Nolan movies that he wasn't wearing a full mask, but uh, that you didn't see his mouth. 
uh, at all. So hearing that Bane was going to be in it, I'm like, please don't do a hockey mask with the slit cut open. <laughs> That'll drive me nuts. I just think you know there was something more menacing about not seeing his mouth move. And uh, the few times in uh, the Nightfall series where you know Bane's watching TV and he's got his mask off, I was like, just leave it on. I, there, there's certain characters that I don't want to know what's behind the mask. That's like, you know, the Joker. We're, we're looking at the Joker with you know no face paint on, and then he you know has to put it on. There's just something about that mystery there. So yeah, I, you can't beat this version of uh, Bane, and apparently neither can Batman. That's a that's a that's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a that's poor. Uh, so we'll move right into Detective Comics six sixty four. Who rules the night? So if you didn't think it was bad enough to see Batman get beat in the Batcave, Bane's not done. He's standing in front of a pseudo Coca-Cola sign. Um, I always do this. I always skip the cover, so we will back up and look at this. Um, There have been, I think, three variations of this cover by Kelly Jones. We have Bane, you know, standing over, actually kneeling on top of Batman and pulling him up. The next one is going to be... Um, I think Robin is on the ground, and I think it's Azrael, or excuse me, it's uh, Asbat's Batman over uh, Bane. And then later on, it is, I think, the Joker on top of Bane in kind of a um, a callback to this. So what did you guys think of this cover before we uh, get in, uh, to the front of it? Uh, Tim? Yeah, I love this cover, and I love the theme of that. Like you were mentioning, the different issues that had the same, you know, positioning of characters like that you mentioned there's of course this one has bane and batman and then at for i think there was no it wasn't the very one it was a normal one but for batman 500 it was as bats you know yes. doing the same thing to bane, bane and then right. he did it to robin like later on in night quest so i just loved the how this theme of the covering was like played out through the course of the not just nightfall but the story of Azrael as batman so this was the first time we got it but even though bane you know, it's probably maybe a little too exaggerated with how big <laughs> and uh, bulky he is, but I still love the design of it. And something I always remember from Nightfall are those different uh, covers that use the same positioning of characters like there. So, yeah, I really like it. That's yeah, I like it too a lot. I love the bats in the background. This was right around the time I started reading comics and was kind of getting into, like, well, who's the artist? Who's the writer? Who's, you know, and this, his name is like very prominent Kelly Jones on there. So you could see it, but I didn't. I don't know. I think he was new at the time, maybe not, but he was new to me. And I remember thinking, I wonder if he'll start like doing issues and stuff. And I, I, it was like really exaggerated, but I really liked it. And I always was amazed by how many ab muscles he would draw. (laughs) Yeah. How long does it take him to draw? Like, he must be spending hours on doing abs. And, um, I always liked the shading on Batman's face, too. I thought it was like really, really eerie and creepy and almost like he's dead. So, yeah, awesome cover. Yeah, uh, I've you know you can get a six pack, but Bane's got like a forty eight pack going on here. Uh, the other thing about the cover I always liked is uh, Batman's ears going down into the shadow, and almost like it was like a pool of ink, or you know, uh, I guess you could think it was blood, but it was almost more of like it, the life is just draining from him, and just this empty shadow below Bane. I always thought that was just really um, eerie on there. I never noticed that. So you just yeah, same that. here. That's a good call. Yeah, that's really deep. That's cool. Yeah, I like that. Okay, I'm going to pull a Costanza. Thank you very much. Podcast <laughs> over. I'm <Yeah>. out. <laughs> um, and this is uh, also in 12. 
um, at the top of the bat here, we're seeing more now half of the red bat logo than we are uh, the white, or the, excuse me, the white, you get my colors right, the yellow and bat logo. So I was wondering, like, what was going to happen once the eclipse finally gets all the way over? And, you know, we'll find that out in uh, Batman uh, 500. But uh, now moving into the interior of the book, uh, who rules the night? Uh, like I was talking about the pseudo Coca-Cola sign. That was something like Terrence and I have always talked about, like uh, in one episode or one issue of Batman, you'll see what looks like it's a Sony TV warehouse, but they don't actually say soda or Sony on there. But you can kind of see the word possibly of Sony in the background. You have what's probably a Burger King logo, but they've cleverly, you know, covered some of these things up. So I always liked, you know, those little things like, hey, that's a Coca-Cola sign. So somebody at Coca-Cola can't necessarily say that you used our logo. It's like... Yeah, I could say just about anything, but it is clearly Coca-Cola and Burger King <laughs> are on there. Did you guys like those little things in the you know '90s where they would point out like, "Hey, this is supposed to be Sony, but it says Sony or something <laughs> like that? Yeah, yeah, I thought it was funny. I mean, it never, I never really cared one way or another. I just kind of, oh, I know what they're doing there. And I know everyone kind of makes a big deal, especially recently with Man of Steel, like, oh, there's too much product placement on an IHOP there and all that. Like, it doesn't bother me. I mean, if they're trying to say they're being realistic and show the world, real world, it's, that's fine. But even if it is really just product placement, I really don't care. But it does kind of make me chuckle when you see stuff like that and where it's like yeah they're trying to be clever and doing that but i get what you're doing there so i, I could take it or leave, leave it really it hasn't like no effect on me like far as getting annoyed with it or anything i like when they kind of like have um a fake product but then they use it throughout multiple books yeah like for a while uh sort of like in the early 2000s they had like soda cola a lot and i think it was like it was some kind of Starbucks coffee thing. It was like Sand Dollar Coffee or something. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Dixon, when he was writing um, uh, Green a- Green Arrow, would always have him go to some restaurant like o- O'Shaughnessy's or O'Malley's or something like that. <laughs> and then it would appear. And I and they do that now on Flash and uh, Arrow with Big Belly Burger and yeah. stuff. So yeah. I kind of like that when they make their own kind of stuff. But, yeah, it is kind of funny when you see like uh, – there was one episode of The Simpsons where they went to some bargain outlet and everything was like a name brand that sounded like it. He's like, this is a genuine Sorny Prime TV and stuff, you know. Yeah, so I always get that feeling, yeah. Uh, moving through uh, the issue here, we have uh, Bane uh, tossing Batman off the top of the building, which, uh, to me, this is the insult to injury. I, I've already... Uh, broken you, but just in case I haven't done it enough, I'm going to launch you off the top of this building. But I think it's also kind of, you know, symbolic too. Like, you know, this is the city that you were protecting. Well, go protect them. And also kind of throwing it into the face of the Gothamites here, um, or the Gotham Bulls, as the guy is wearing a shirt here. I always like the different sports teams. You have the Gotham Knights, the Gotham Bulls, uh, the Gotham Targets, I think, was listed at one time. But you know, Batman is your your protector, and here he is laying broken, bloodied, and, you know, bleeding on the floor, and you have most people standing around Batman, you know, kind of in shock and awe, but you have this stooge right here in the lower left-hand corner in a red hat, uh, probably a thug, he's got that smirk like, yeah, now I can go steal a yeah. Sony <laughs> TV. <laughs> so, like, I, I don't know, like, as 
broken as Batman is here on this page, I always fixate on this guy here with a cigarette. Like, somebody needs to slap that guy in the face. I don't know what that is. That and the crying kid up in the upper right-hand corner. That's like I always thought, like, how did Batman not land on one of them? <laughs> you know, yeah. Like the, yeah. It's, uh, I'm trying to remember what uh, movie it was where somebody is stage diving. They go to stage dive and the crowd just parts and the a guy <laughs> just plants right to the floor. Not that it's supposed to be funny, but I, that kind of goes through my head here. Um, in the radio drama, it's uh, Montoya and Bullock that are the first on the scene, but it's Montoya and I'm trying to figure out this guy's name, Mars, I yeah. believe, uh, that's going here, and it's actually Montoya that's kind of the first uh, to kind of arrive. And, uh, you know, Batman's pretty much non responsive here. And, uh, you know, they're calling the ambulance in, and one of the, uh, yeah, I think it's Maz here, that is kind of, like, kind of reaffirming, like, yeah, it's 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 Batman. You know, I, I said that correct, and, you know, trying to describe, you know, who Bane is, and uh, said it looks like us, weighs like 300 plus, and most of it's chest and arms. I thought that was kind of a, um, a cool way of describing, you know, who Bane was. Um, and I... Want to get your guys' take on it too? That the first responders are, of course, Alfred, um, Jean Paul, and Tim. That um, I'm assuming that they must have, you know, intercepted the uh, um, the police call to get there, or realized, you know, that's kind of where they needed to be. That, you know, do they have their own bat ambulance? Did they have to hijack this ambulance? <laughs> so, uh, you know, kind of reading things, you know. 20-some-odd years later, going through the book, you know, as, you know, shocked as you are about Batman, the first thing I'm thinking of is, how'd you get your ambulance? <laughs> so, um, just one of the many vehicles that they have. Uh, do you guys think that was kind of cool that it's it's not, you know, the paramedics that show up, it's it's Alfred and uh, Jean-Paul, or am I being a little naive that, that we're like, okay, Rob, you, you had to figure it's going to be those guys. So, I just kind of <laughs> want to throw that out to you guys. What'd you think, Terrence? Yeah, I think I was surprised. I think I thought like maybe they'd find out he was Bruce Wayne or, or something. I, I remember being a little surprised and thinking, oh, that's cool. I just figured Bruce Wayne being a millionaire or billionaire has got whatever he needs and that they would have that ambulance. Um, I do remember being more shocked at the first couple pages of this book than uh, Batman 497 because I think I thought throwing him off a, a building like this was more brutal than just, you know, kneeing him in the back, you know, and I thought this would probably kill you, let alone break your back. You know, luckily he hits a couple awnings and stuff off of the Bob Kane Art Museum, but still, I mean, <laughs> if you had a choice, like, which would you rather have, get kneed really hard in the back or thrown off a building? I'll take the knee to the back. You know, um, with you just saying that, I've looked at this book over off and on for, over for 20 years. I never realized that's the Bob Kane Art Museum. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I think up to that point, it was a lot of like, uh, what's going to happen next? Um, the, the whole series, Nightfall, really had a, a good, kept, kept you going on what's going to happen next. Uh, Tim, what did you think of this the first few opening panels here? Yeah, these first, the opening of this issue has always stuck out to me ever since I first read it. And like I mentioned before, this was going on around the same time as um, Bat, the death of Superman, and at least for one, we were both reading it as kids, like me and my brothers and my cousin. And we sometimes have 
like discussions is like oh, who's better at Batman or Superman and this moment right here this was like my proof that I would always go to this is why Batman is better than Superman is stronger he was like had his back broken he got tossed off a building on the ground you see all that blood like you said Terrence you think that kills someone but no he's still alive sure he's broken but he's still alive Superman got killed that's why <laughs> Batman is like what up on Superman but this moment always stood out to me like just from like you know just a little kid like like schoolyard discussion type things, like who's better and all that. But I would always go to uh, this uh, moment in Nightfall as an example that I've used why Batman is the best. But yeah, it, just, it still sticks out to me. I mean, seeing what <laughs> happened to Batman, yeah, just such awful images as Batman fans to see, especially that last one, like you talked about, Rob, with him just on the ground with the blood surrounding him. You see everybody's reactions on there. But um, the moment when the ambulance arrived and it's Alfred, I kind of knew right away that it was Alfred or someone that is going to be, you know, there for Batman and part of the Batman family. But I did like the moment, you know, where uh, he's kind of, Montoya wants to go with them. And you know, she's saying, you know, let us come with you. And Alfred's like saying all the reasons why, why she can't. And even later on where Gordon's telling, like, how could you let these people <laughs> just take Batman and not go with them? They could be like someone who works for Bane. But then I, that was a cool moment too, not to jump too far ahead where, you know, bullet kind of reassures Gordon. Well, maybe it's like part of the Batman's own people commission. And he turns around and gives that smile and like kind of walks away. Like, okay, you're probably right. But yeah, I did like that moment where they came in. It did make sense to me. You know, Batman has contingency plans for everything. So maybe <laughs> he did have an ambulance parked away somewhere hidden in the Batcave, or maybe they stopped by Leslie Tompkins <laughs> clinic yeah. or something who knew where to get an ambulance. So I'm sure they were well prepared for moments like this if they ever needed to get to Batman in an emergency. Uh, moving through the next few uh, uh, pages here, this is the part where you were talking about Tim, where or Tim, excuse me. <laughs> now I got I have two Tims going on here. <laughs> a lot of T's. <laughs> it's called our last name is Drake and Jirasi. <laughs> there you go. See, yeah. even the your uh, initials are the same. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> um, where Terrence, you were talking about where uh, Tim is saying we need to get Bruce to a hospital, and Alfred's going through all the reasons why. You know, it's sure you may heal the man, but you're going to kill the man in the process. That you know, Batman. Like, this must have been something that Bruce probably had lengthy discussions over Alfred with. Like, you need to be able to repair me in whatever way that the guys between Bruce Wayne and Batman cannot be broken, no matter how it is. If I'm going to die on an operating table, it better be on the operating table in the Batcave just so, you know, you're you're going to be fine. Nobody's going to come after you and all that type of stuff. So, um Alfred is very much, you know, this is what needs to happen. And Tim's just kind of sitting back there like, uh, okay, you know, almost of like, you know, like you said, uh, Terrence, that Tim's trying to be the voice of reason to everybody. Like, there are ribs coming through Batman. We need to get him to a hospital. And Alfred's like, nope, we're taking him back to the uh, guano-infested Batcave. That (laughs) is the cleanest place we could be right now. One of my favorite parts of this issue is the demise of the a partnership between uh, the Scarecrow and uh, the Joker, which in the radio drama that you'll hear, um, I, I like the Joker's reaction to the fear toxin. And this was a, a pairing that I think Terrence, you and I talked about in one of the last episodes really kind of made sense for the Joker and Scarecrow to be working together. You have two people that kind of... Um, 
use fear to their advantage, but this is a very volatile friendship, and as soon as one of them doesn't need the other one, they both decide to turn on each other, and it's almost like the Joker getting shot in the gas, a shot in the face with the fear toxin. It's like, hmm, what other flavors do you have? You know, yeah. <laughs> that type of whole thing. Uh, what did you guys think about the, the pairing of the uh, Joker and uh, the Scarecrow through this? Uh, Tim? Yeah, I loved it because these are my top two favorite Batman villains. <laughs> so when I saw that they were paired up, like I just love seeing them together and reading through the... Going back and reading those first issues, like I said before, getting I got issues or, or part eleven and had to go back and catch up. So I love reading those ones with Joker and Scarecrow, and yeah, it made for a great team up. And like you said, Rob, it eventually it was going to fall apart, but there were some great moments here, great dialogue between them two. I also like at the beginning of the sequence here where Joker is kind of annoyed that Bane was the one to able to take mm-hmm. down Batman. It's like. He broke us all out. We've been trying to get him for years, and this rookie comes in and he's able to do it. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a great moment, too, where Scarecrow... This happens to Scarecrow a lot sometimes, unfortunately, <laughs> even though he's my favorite villain when he gasses somebody and then it doesn't work, and they turn the tables on him. But, yeah, he had he should have known better than with the Joker. And then, yeah, Joker just beats him up with a wooden chair. <laughs> but, I, I love that. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, this party was like, oh, maybe your cell will have cable <laughs> the next time you're back in Arkham when it's rebuilt or something like that. So, yeah, yeah it was a fun pairing throughout uh, the beginning of Nightfall and had a conclusion like you would expect, but still plenty of entertaining with these two. Uh, what'd you think, uh, Terrence? Yeah, I love these scenes here. Um, I, I really am sort of a fan, and you don't see it a lot, but Scarecrow um, delivering the toxin with that little skull. Yeah. I don't know what yeah. it is. I really like that. And, um, I don't know if this inspired Paul Dini for the video games, but it's definitely that the whole like Joker Scarecrow mix works so great for the you know the Arkham series of games. And I like the way Joker's drawn here. You see, he's starting to become a little less like clowny and like androgynous, you know, uh, yeah. weirdo from the '70s. And is you know the dark under his eyes on page 11 there gives him that really like Jack Nicholson kind of like like darker. Um, just I don't know tone and look that you know which is where they went with them which is is pretty awesome and there I did remember thinking like wow this is weird like uh, Batman's greatest you know villain did isn't the one to take him down and it was sort of the same in Superman where like this Doomsday who was brand new took him down and not Lex Luthor and I also remember thinking because I was such a huge Dark Knight um, Returns fan. Like, in that, when Batman went away, the Joker went away as well. He just kind of stopped smiling, was in the insane asylum. And um, I wondered if they were going to go that route with the Joker. And, and then when he, like, he'd scarecrow with the chair, I'm like, no, he's not. He's, yeah. <laughs> he's got some more to do here, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, moving through uh, some of our last few pages here, uh, seeing Bruce back in uh, the uh, sterile environment of the Batcave, uh, getting all bandaged up, and uh, uh, Tim wanting that reassuring, you know, nudge like, okay, so he's out of danger. And uh, I actually think it's John Paul that says it, but uh, you know, Tim's kind of along that that same line of, you know, Alfred's like, not yet. You know, he needs uh, some medicine here. So I don't know which was worse to see, you know, Batman all bruised and battered, or him now on the stretcher with a neck brace. Uh, apparently, uh, obviously, a leg has been. Uh, broken and his ribs are definitely broken so it's like i don't know which uh, neither do i wish to see but just the look of defeat on tim's face but to know 
all right, we got a mission. We've got to go get this medicine. How are we going to get the medicine? Uh, I thought it was kind of cool that I had to go back and Tim was saying about the Batmobile that it's a good thing Batman didn't arm the Batmobile because he's the only one that has basically the codes to unlock it. So, you know, Tim's still not old enough to drive just yet uh, the Batmobile. And so Jean-Paul is uh, suiting up in probably one of the last times as Azrael uh, here in his uh, pseudo uh, Azrael costume. And, uh, as Tim heads off to the uh, Batmobile, um, Alfred delivers some news that uh, Tim uh, probably wouldn't uh, enjoy hearing, but knows uh, Alfred has to tell somebody that uh, Bruce, if he wakens, he'll be paralyzed for life. And that you know that's something they're going to have to uh, brace for. So I remember reading that and going, okay, well, they bandaged Batman up, and he's, he's going to be all right, but to hear... He's going to be all right, but be paralyzed. I was then that kind of cemented it for me of going. I like you're right, Terrence. I think Batman Bruce Wayne's done being Batman. So so now, like, where does this book go? Did that hit you guys at all? The way it hit me of going, um, is this the end of the actual Batman comic? Um, what do you guys think, uh, Terrence? Well, I, I what I had thought at the time, and then could say this was naive, but you know, ninety three was my first year of college. Um, I thought Bruce Wayne was going to live, but he may be paralyzed in the wheelchair, kind of like Oracle, or he may not. And I, but I didn't think the book was going to end. I thought, you know, because there had been a lot of stuff leaked, um, and so I knew Asbats was coming. Uh, there was that this picture of the, um, you know, Asbat. Yeah. Um, that came out uh, almost, it might have been almost a year, but at least a significant amount of months before this. So I thought, you know, either, I didn't know John Paul Valley would be the new Batman, so I thought either that new costume was in some way like a support system for a injured or um, uh, paralyzed Bruce Wayne to fight, or I thought they would switch and have, you know, John Paul take over as Batman in um, Batman and Detective, and I think Shadow of the Bat was going on at the time. Yeah. But that Legends of the Dark Knight, which was a flashback to Year One series, that would continue to have Bruce Wayne sort of Year One or or maybe even Year Two or Three with like a Dick Grayson Robin story. So I always thought there'd still be a, a Bruce Wayne book out there, but I thought it would be a flashback book. But I definitely thought that this was the end of like the, the just sort of the run of what we had been seeing for the past few years of the um, Tim Drake, Bruce Wayne, Batman and Robin team. Gotcha. Uh, Tim? Yeah, for me, uh, being a young kid, I wasn't so you know jaded and cynical that I am now. I was like, oh, he'll be back and you know when the next movie comes <laughs> out. <laughs> and it's only a matter of time. But so when I first read this, I didn't get the feeling that um, oh, like the Batman book's going to end because I'm still a fairly new comic reader here. I was just really curious to see what's going to happen. I really don't know what to expect. Is Bruce going to ever come back? Is he you know, going to make it out of this? So I was just kind of you know along for the ride to see what happens when it was all said and done. I just remember that last thing all the way up to Batman 500. I mean, as that being built up to the last part of Nightfall. I mean, I'm wanting to know. But I remember so excited getting that issue. Like this is it. this is going to be like this new era of Batman and what to expect going forward. So it was kind of that rare moment, you know, before the internet and before getting like solicitations and information for issues like months away, we just kind of, you know, wait and see. And you made the story, I guess, more enjoyable as a kid, you know, having that sense of 
anticipation and mystery as far as what's going to happen because we really don't get that anymore. I mean, you got you actually have to try hard not to know <laughs> what's going to happen. Right. The stories down the line. So it was kind of a unique time that I have to say I kind of missed, but it it worked good for because that's obviously the feeling they want you to have as a reader, especially young readers, kind of having that sense of mystery and not knowing what to expect and makes you anticipate every issue. So this is what this moment did for me when night falls. So yeah, it did its job as far as getting a young comic book reader hooked (laughs) for many months to come during that time period. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I thought it was going to end, but like, I was kind of like with you saying, Tim, like, okay, this is going to, usher in something new but i was curious were they going to pull the same trick that they did with superman where the superman book wasn't published for a month where people were like okay so so now what i was kind of glad to see you know that the the book was you know obviously still being published but to you know find out that the superman camp didn't know what the batman camp was doing it's like well hey we just killed our character and the batman camp was like well we kind of did the same thing to ours that you know i thought in the edicts that are going around dc comics right now there's no way that you know you would have two major events coinciding with each other and both books not know like oh well we can't kill both major characters at the same time so it was a different universe to kind of be living in knowing that the Superman or Superman and Batman were going to be completely different for a while. You know, that was one of the things that was like great about DC, but also hurt DC at the time in like the nineties is that like Marvel was one unified company and their books really crossed over and um, interwove. And it was like most of their heroes were in New York city and they appeared in each other's books and, you know, like when something happened in Punisher or X-Men, like the next month that that update would be in some other book. Um, and DC was kind of like pockets of islands. Like you had the Batman books, you had the Superman books, you had certain books and they, they didn't really interact very much. So on the one hand, it was cool because like you had like the Batman group had the freedom to do what they wanted to. And the Superman group had their freedom. But on the other hand, it didn't, you know, connect very well and and um, where Marvel was good because it connected, but sometimes you'd have to read like 8,000 books just to know what was going on or who these people were. So it, it was good and bad for both companies, and I was kind of reading both at the time. But um, it's just kind of interesting how you'd think the two major uh, comic book companies, yet they're, they're run so differently, and even the writing process was completely different. Yeah. Um, and um, DC was you know more on writing stories and scripts and, and Marvel was like writing an outline and having the artist do the artwork and then adding the dialogue and stuff later. <laughs> so it's just, it's funny how they're so different. Yeah. And, uh, to know also that Jean Paul Valley is basically more created because, uh, Dick Grayson is locked into the teen Titans and the people that were writing, uh, Wolfman and Perez were writing the Titans and they're like, no, we're not done with Dick Grayson here. So you can't have Dick Grayson become Batman. So Jean Paul gets created because of the events that are going to happen. So, uh, that was kind of, you know, hearing about all the stories of how the creation process of this, uh, Nightfall saga goes on. That's the reason people are like, why didn't Dick Grayson become, you know, Batman? That's what, probably should have happened but as far as editorial goes it's like no we've got dick grayson in this book he's got his own things going on so um 
just kind of how, like you said, the differences of the companies work. Uh, moving through the last uh, little bit here, um, uh, one of my favorite parts of the radio drama also is uh, the Scarface and Sako and Ventriloquist. Uh, that part of the radio drama, which is uh, included that you guys just heard, is just funny to hear You know, the two dummies fighting with each other, and then they shoot each other. And what's not in here is, uh, in the radio drama that you heard, is Ventriloquist going, oh, we shot ourselves. You know, (laughs) him realizing, which I thought that's kind of funny. You got this drunk going into the room, and then, (laughs) which is like, technically there's three people in the room, but it's basically just the Ventriloquist uh, just almost half killed himself. Um I always like those little moments that kind of relieve a little bit of the tension that kind of makes you chuckle and go, oh, this is a comic here. Um, then hey, the- I got a, a question for Tim, if you don't mind. No, so, like, when I started reading comics, uh, it was a couple years before this, and Alan Grant was doing a lot of the writing, and he had said that he wasn't really up with the comics and didn't know all the villains, so he created a lot of new villains. I think Ventriloquist yes. he might have created as well. So I didn't really realize like these were new villains because I was new to comics. And so Tim, when you were jumping in here, did you have a sense of like which villains, like the Joker and stuff, went back to the '40s and and which ones were fairly new? Because I didn't when I was reading it. Uh, for the most part, yeah. But a lot of it was kind of as I was reading Nightfall it was kind of oh, this is my first time I'm seeing villains that I got introduced to Batman the animated series in okay. into comics. And Ventriloquist was one of them. It's like, oh, cool, this is how the Ventriloquist was in the comics. But like, one thing that I noticed right away was like, why is Scarface, uh, like his paint is white on there in Batman animated series, you know, the more like regular human skin tone. But uh, yeah, that's one great thing about Nightfall. Like, just getting to see, you know, the characters I know from Batman animated series in their comic forms. And at the same time, too, you get introduced to some other new characters through Nightfall, like uh, Firefly. And because he hasn't, he didn't show up to Batman's the animated series later and stuff like that. But I remember this particular moment with Ventiloquist and Scarface. I I thought he killed himself. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is he still alive? How can he still be alive after that? You see the blood dripping down from there. But yeah, it was one of those moments where, like you said, Rob, it, it's take the break from the overall story of going on the Nightfall. Kind of takes you out of it, catch you up on someone other villains are going through at this time because we saw Joker and Scarecrow and you know the ventriloquist in his quest to find Scarface and but yet he got a new persona with Sako on there and you knew they were going to clash once they did find him and it was kind of a fitting end I guess to that story arc we saw with the ventriloquist <laughs> yeah you know Scarface ain't going to tolerate anyone else <laughs> so it had to happen but that was the thing that stood out to me like Oh man, they just killed off the ventriloquist after I, you know, just got introduced to him in Batman the Animated Series, and I see him in the comic, and he's dead already. But you know, it's funny. We know that wasn't the case. You know, it's funny is when I started reading comics, the animated series hadn't started, so for me it was like, oh, I've seen this guy on the Adam West show, or I hadn't seen the Adam West show. But um, on page 18 there with the ventriloquist, and now this this hotel room doesn't look like it has the best maid service in, in around. But look at that picture on the bottom of page 18. What do you think the maid would think when she walked in and sees that? And, like, look where the doll is kind of placed near his crotch and everything. And the blood. Like, that, that must have been quite the interesting day in housekeeping. Mm-mm, no, I cleaned up a last room not doing it. Yeah. This is Margaret's night, not <laughs> not Bernice's. <laughs> yeah. uh, I never noticed the doll before. Uh, we'll turn that page. Um, 
<laughs> and then uh, our last few pages here are. Uh, this has uh, got to be an odd moment, you know. Commissioner Gordon kind of sitting there, you know, like witnessing what he just saw and seeing Robin come in the room and him having to go like, "You're alone tonight," knowing I better get used to seeing this kid because um, I just saw, you know, our, the protector of Gotham just get tossed off a building. So Tim uh, asked Gordon for a favor. They're able to get the medicine. Uh, that Batman needs, and a uh, cool shot of uh, Azrael and Robin on the top of page 21, and then uh, the medicine getting administered to Batman on this stark black uh, background, and the only light showing is just from the uh, operating table. And uh, Alfred says, you know, the thing that all of us Bat fans are wondering, you know, the hardest part is the waiting. And uh, wondering what could possibly uh, be coming uh, up next for the fate of Bruce Wayne. So I uh, just kind of want to get your guys' final thoughts um, on the two issues and just kind of, I think we've already kind of gone around the tree, but we'll go around again. of Just like where, where we thought it was going to go. I didn't see any of the leaked uh, images of Azrael, even though I was picking up books. I've got one here, but I dug out of my box. Uh, Hero Special Edition, um, Canada as where this was printed from, Volume 1, Series 1, and the uh, book says, uh, Batman, From Dark Night to Nightfall, and it kind of recaps everything. And uh, strangely enough, the when I open it up, the first uh, picture here is Robin, going solo in style, which is where this podcast is very quickly headed. Um, just that your overall thoughts, um, um, I had no idea that uh, Azrael or Azbats was coming. I just assumed it's going to... It's going to somehow Bruce is miraculously going to get up out of that bed and start kicking butt again. But uh, uh, final thoughts, uh, Terrence. Well, you know, I, I just um, I just remember how exciting this time period was. Uh, you know, I could drive at this time so I didn't have to ride my bike or depend on you know my parents to, to get me to the comic book store. But it was just like every every week or every two weeks there was another Nightfall book coming out. And every week, you know, just waiting for it and the anticipation and not having the Internet where you could kind of go on and, and, and know like, oh, well, if I don't get there, I'll just look at the synopsis or I'll know what it is. Um, and having just some vague idea that it was leading to the Asbats, but not really knowing much about it. I remember seeing that picture and not knowing, like, is it a robot? Is it Bruce Wayne? Is it somebody else? Is it, What is it? So um, I just like my thoughts are just that that fun time that anticipation of like something to look forward to every week. And then that last panel is really cool how it's all, or it's a full page, it's in the dark, you know, you can just see Tim and is distraught, and then Alfred puts out the, the oddest Tom Petty reference that I wasn't expecting, <laughs> but, yeah, and the dot matrix printer. But, uh, yeah, overall, just fantastic. And, you know, the knock on Nightfall that I hear from people is that it's like a story that doesn't really have an ending, or not a satisfying ending, but... You know, I think that's unfair because you got to remember who's making this. These are people who are writing um, a weekly or not weekly or monthly or in this case bi-monthly comic, you know, and it, it keeps um, keeps coming out. And so they're not really interested in writing a story. They're interested in writing and producing stories for the next two, three, four, five, six, you know, ten years. And these are all guys who are sort of veterans who are not, you know, looking to you know, write a comic for a couple years and then go write scripts or do that. Like, these are all, you know, professional, full-time comic book men. Um, so for what they're trying to do to keep you interested and keep you coming back month to month, I think it's, you know, without it out a home run. Definitely. Uh, Tim. Yeah. I mean, 
when I think of Nightfall, I think of these two issues. They, they were the first ones that come to mind. This, uh, for the impact they had and on Batman and for me as a Batman fan and getting, you know, launching my <laughs> comic collecting, uh, career i guess you could say um were these first two issues and like like you said terrence this is a great time for me as a batman fan too i mean just being a little kid being so engrossed into the story and having that sense of anticipation and just getting excited for each issue i would get and i remember like being slowly ex- getting to the build-up of john paul being in the asbat suits because i remember scene for the first time i think it was part 17 where he has those new gauntlets first mm-hmm. but the normal bat suit and he's like jumping almost the cover of it was him like almost jumping onto bruce wayne while he's in the wheelchair yeah i was like man what's going on there like so slowly i started getting the sense of what could come but i actually don't remember when i first saw him in the as bat suit i know i did see it before i got the actual issue of batman 500 there were teases of it, it might have been maybe in a wizard magazine or something mm-hmm. but it wasn't like something that was was totally shocking when I actually saw that issue. But And I will say for me at that time, I think it was a satisfying conclusion because at least for Nightfall, I know it continued on into Night's Quest and to Night's End, but for Nightfall, once Bane broke Batman's back, the thing I wanted to see was, you know, Bane get his comeuppance and see him get <laughs> defeated. And we got that in Part 19 in Batman 500. And even though you can say it's not satisfying because it wasn't Bruce, and I totally get that. You knew Bruce had to have that rematch with Bane, which eventually happened down the line. But as far as that Nightfall story, I just remember for me as that little kid who was so engrossed with it, being satisfied with what I got in Batman 500 with that double-sized issue with a cool cover and the fight that I was hoping to see with uh, Azrael as Batman taking down Bane. So... Yeah, just I look back at that time period with really fond memories of being, you know, getting part of the Batman comic collecting and just being so engrossed with the story on here. And then, yeah, you part growing up with reading these Batman comics and then still getting new episodes of Batman the Animated Series, even though it was like in that time period between Batman Returns and Batman Forever where we didn't have a movie, having those two things more than sufficed <laughs> as far as not having like a big budget movie to look forward to, which as a little kid is kind of like the big thing you always want to see. But in the end, those, like Batman the Animated Series and Nightfall, like, overshadowed <laughs> definitely the movies we got during that time. So when I look about that time period, it's always going to be those two things, Batman the Animated Series and Nightfall. So, and it all started with these two issues that we covered here. So I'll always look back on them with the fondest of memories. Yeah, I think you guys both said it perfectly. I, and I never, and I liked what you said, Terrence, about their, the stories just kind of, be a never-ending. It's, it's kind of like how real life is, you know? Um, it's exactly how real life is. You know, going all the way... Th- you can kind of read all these comics just in continuous chronological order, you know, going in from the training of uh, Tim Drake into, you know, the Sword of Azrael and into Nightfall, and eventually that spills into um, the Prodigal. And then even down the line, uh, parts of Nightfall are still being referenced into No Man's Land that... You know, you can kind of look back at it and go, oh, yeah, that was clear back in Detective Comics 664, you know, little nuggets here or there. And I I always liked that, that I felt like I was just getting, you know, the next episode in a TV show and um, really starting to put together, you know, how how comics worked, that everything was kind of tied in. Then you would get these little offshoots and me kind of deciding, well, am I going to follow this 
Azrael Batman, or am I going to see what a wheelchaired Bruce Wayne's going to be like in Justice League Task Force, you know, and all those things? And then Tim Drake finally breaks off onto his own. It was just kind of like, wow, this is, I felt this was a really cool and a really special time to really be neck deep in all these comics going, uh, I just didn't know what direction to to pick, so I just picked all of them and enjoyed uh that I felt like this is the real like informative years of comic books that both companies were really knocking some stuff out of the park and uh, Batman was was right up there and I've, I'm glad this was like one of the very first things that I picked up that was I was at the shop as soon as they opened or actually as soon as I got out of school um, that I, I went right to that comic book shop to pick up my book for that week and uh, half the time I took the book to the car and I thumbed through and I read it before I even got home. <laughs> But uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, just to piggyback on what you're saying, Rob, if you look at the the price, unless you were, came late and had to buy it off the wall, a dollar twenty-five, you know, it didn't break the bank. You could go in and buy ten, twenty comics, so you know, and and it wasn't that outrageous like it would be today. Or you know, you could try new stuff. You know, for a buck twenty-five, you were willing to pick up a book for a couple of weeks and, and see what it was. And I think a lot of people who weren't DC fans, because Marvel and I'm not sure if Image was out yet, but it was it was close to being out. Um, looked down on DC and weren't really you know DC people, and they were like, "Oh, Batman, I'll, I'll pick up this Nightfall thing. I'll see what it's like here." But you know, and, and we're like, "Oh, this is good. I'm going to get the next one. I'm going to get the next one." So it was also cool to see a lot of those Marvel guys who had been you know ragging on me for being a DC guy for so long sort of pick up the DC book and, and we're into it. I'm like, "Yeah, this stuff is good." I'm like, "I know. I've been telling you that." <laughs> <laughs> right. Definitely. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of episode 34 of Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake. And we are getting so very close to start following the adventures of Tim Drake. But he's got a couple little hurdles yet to jump through. Um, He's eventually going to have to come face-to-face with a new Batman. And uh, he'll have to tackle those issues and decide, is he going to stay or is he going to go? But this is where we're going to go. I want to say a big thank you to Tim uh, for stopping by. And we would love to have you on the podcast again. It's been great getting a chance to talk. Uh, Batman Nightfall, it's something when uh, I started this podcast knowing that I'm definitely going to have to have you on here. As this is, was a topic of many conversations we had over at the BatFan. So it was great to have you on, sir. Yeah, it was great to be here. Thanks for having me on because, yeah, as I echoed over the course of this episode how much I love Nightfall and what this series means to me, so getting a chance to talk about it with you guys was lots of fun. So, yeah, look forward to chatting with you guys again at some point. Cool. Yeah, and uh, I just want to say, um, yeah, when I Rob first had me on, I was like, oh, we should have Tim on. And first thing he said, oh, yeah, I think Tim's going to come on during Nightfall, so th- this is cool. And I also wanted, before we, we signed off, just uh, give Tim congratulations on a hundred uh, episodes of Bat Fans. That's really impressive. I mean that because there's so many podcasts. Like uh, I'll get into something or be interested in something, and I'll go to look to see if there's a podcast on that subject. And there are just so many podcasts that start and end at like episode twelve or fifteen. Or so you know to to, to carry out and have done a hundred plus. You do the Star Wars podcast, which um, if nobody's checked out, is really awesome. Um, which um, where can they find that Star Wars podcast? Because yeah, I get for iTunes, but yeah, yeah. Thanks, I appreciate you saying that. And just again, like having you guys be a part of the Batman show's history was great too. So, and that's why it was fun to chat with you, Rob, on the 100th episode. And still got to hear a little bit from Terrence and <laughs> the evil on there. But just glad that you guys were able to be a part of that, and much appreciated. But 
Um, yeah, um, you can find uh, first the Bat Fans podcast on Twitter uh, at the Bat Fans podcast, and then for Star Wars, uh, my podcast is Star Wars: The Saga Continues. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC or at uh, Star Wars TSC dot com. And yeah, me and my co-host Kyle, we have very lengthy discussions on the <laughs> topics of Star Wars going around right now. Almost like the year leading up to The Force Awakens, pretty much every episode was like three hours. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're interested in hearing lengthy Star Wars discussions, you'll definitely get it on Star Wars. The saga continues. Okay. Can I get one Star Wars thing? Sorry to cut you off there, no, Rob. For it. One Star Wars thing here, and I'm going to say the name wrong here. The, the, I've seen the movie three times, and I loved it. You'd think I would get it right, but is it Snook? Is that how you say his name, or is it Snoke or which it's Snoke Snoke yeah yeah so who do you think he really is because I saw the movie and I just thought he was a new bad guy I was like oh cool and they'll probably like elaborate more on eight or nine and he's taken over um sort of the sort of the role that the emperor had in like the first Mm. you know two movies it never occurred to me that he'd be actually somebody else so I don't know if I was just naive or and then all of a sudden I'm reading on the internet who is he is he really this is he really this so do you think he really is somebody else or is it you know I I was curious as your opinion you know what I have like a hope of who I want it to be but I think in the end he probably is going to be a new character but, like, the big theory going around, which I've talked about a lot, which I really like, is that he's actually uh, Palpatine's old master, Darth Plagueis, yes. who I mentioned in episode three. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it fits where, he's technically Palpatine said he killed him in his sleep, but, you know, he was the one to cheat death and try to find a way to, you know, make sure he lived forever. So it could be a thing where Palpatine thinks he's dead, but in fact he was still alive, and maybe, you know, his body is deteriorating deteriorated and that's why he looks the way he does in the force awakens but i kind of have a feeling they're going to do something new i do hope that he will be someone you know who is of significance whether maybe he's you know someone who first you know got in contact with the dark side like an ancient sith lord now coming back just some way where it's not just some random person you know who like during the course of the reign of the empire came into power and knew the ways of the force i kind of hoping that if He's the big bad guy and eventually have to face down with Luke. I would think he'd have to be someone with pretty significance, you know, in the history of the forest and the dark side. So we'll have to wait and see. But I'm kind of, I really hope it would be Darth Plagueis. I think that'd be great, you know, thematically to tie it into the rest of the saga, too, to have it be the one, you know, who kind of got everything started with, you know, teaching Palpatine. And if you even read the Darth Plagueis novel, which I know is not canon, even had a hand, you know, in the force creating Anakin. So it would all make perfect sense if it was that way. But I don't know. I kind of have a feeling that they probably weren't too aware, uh, maybe, of the character Dark Plagueis when writing it. But it depends too if, because I think maybe that was something Lucas would have done. And you know, they changed a lot of things that Lucas had in his uh, early drafts. But I wonder if that is something maybe they would keep it, even if Lucas thought of anyway. So. I don't know, it's going to be interesting, but needless to say, I can't wait for the fight of who he is and for the course of what the stories we're going to see in episodes 8 and 9, because The Force Awakens just laid down the groundwork so great for what's to come next in Star Wars, so I'm ecstatic. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that's great. Um, I think Terrence and I had said it before that, you know, sitting in a movie theater going... You know, this is the Star Wars movie I, we never thought we were going to get to see. That here we are, mm-hmm. you know, watching a, a whole new uh, story, but a very familiar story and characters that we know and love being told. And then walking out of the theater, I think I've seen it twice now, 
and then thinking, I'm looking over across the room at my Batman versus Superman action figure sitting there going, I'm going to be seeing Batman yeah. and Superman <laughs> on screen together, something that I've been waiting for for so long. So uh, my head is just spinning like there's more Star Wars movies, and now there's a DC Universe starting here. And, and Suicide Squad. And yeah. Suicide Squad and Deadpool and you know, it, and all of this stuff coming out that – it's it's definitely a great time to be a comic book fan. I think um, with a lot of these movies coming out, people are going to get introduced some characters that they've never known before, or like psh, Aquaman, he talks to fish. I think people are going to come out of Batman vs. Superman or even a Justice League movie going, I like Aquaman. <laughs> yeah, I know. Pretty much every month we're going to have some great movie to look forward to, whether it's Star Wars, DC, or Marvel, and or even like the X-Men stuff in that universe they're trying to build too so yeah like you said what a time to be alive <laughs> well excellent well that is going to wrap up the show on behalf of tim and terrence uh this has been robin everyone loves the drake and we will see you guys on the next episode take care Thanks for listening to Robin Everyone Loves the Drake Comic Podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, and I am making no money from it. Much to the displeasure of my wife. Sorry, babe. So no infringement is intended by this show. This also applies to all music and sound clips as they have their own copyright holders as well. You can now find this podcast on iTunes and Windows Media as well. There you can rate and leave a comment to the show and subscribe. I hope that you do. You can also find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. You can send a message there as well. If you'd like to email, you can do so by sending me one at r10myers at yahoo.com. That's R as in Robin, 10myers at yahoo.com. And I'll read your emails on the air. Make sure that you head over to the batmanuniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thank you for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care.